Hello, everybody. Just wanted to take a minute and welcome you to the Glad I Heard That podcast. My name is Eric Farrell. I get the privilege to be able to serve here at Faith Lutheran Church in the capacity of helping lead our men's ministry with Dave Frank. And one of the things that we've most recently decided to do is come up with an avenue in which we can share stories, share stories from different people here at our church, different men, uh, to be able to allow them to tell their story in hopes that it would be something that would be beneficial for you. So at the end of it, you would maybe think to yourself, boy, I'm really glad I heard that. And so we're, we're just looking forward to spending this time together with you today. And uh, for today's session specifically, um, we are bringing in Joe Voidish. So I'd like to introduce you to my friend Joe. He's going to be uh, sharing with us today a story about his life, um, specifically as it, as it relates to addictions. And so we're going to kind of talk about that as well. But uh, to introduce you, Joe, one of the things that, um, that I thought about is the fact that whenever people experience you, in my opinion, and I'll say this personally for me, um, I experience the joy that you get out of your relationship with God. That is something that he is very much out there with. He doesn't hide it. Um, it's something that you really bring to the table in every conversation and every relationship. So I want to thank you um, for that. And the place that that kind of starts in my mind uh, for you um, from listening to you talk about this is it starts in your own home. So do us a favor and tell us about your lovely family that you guys have yeah. together. Yeah, I'm uh, married to a beautiful wife, Karen, and uh, it's been going on 26 years coming up in November. And uh, we also were blessed with two sons, Scott and Matthew. And uh, that happened fairly fast, but late on in life because we had to have kids right away or else the opportunity would be gone. So uh, I'm blessed with that for sure, mm -hmm. uh, to have them in my life. And uh, they've been walking with me for the 26 years that uh, me and Karen have been around together. Now, the, uh, the way I'd like to kind of get us started also is I think there's a variety of backgrounds that are out there, people that are watching, people that grew up in the church, people that um, didn't grow up in the church, people that took their faith seriously at an earlier age, mm -hmm. people that took it at a later age. I mean, you and I have shared our stories with each other about that before. But for you growing up, um, what did your relationship with Jesus and the church as an institution, right? So like a building on the corner that you went right. to or didn't go to, what was that relationship, those two relationships like for Joe? Well, my relationship with Christ has been ever since I was an infant. Um, my parents um, were both Catholic and um, I grew up in Oak Park, so I was baptized as an infant and then they saw that they wanted us to go through parochial schools, so I also got 12 years of parochial school at different uh, uh, schools because of uh, church closings and stuff. I ended up, uh, my last stint was uh, St. Mary's in Royal Oak. So I've always been around religion. Uh, my parents were very, uh, go to church on Sunday, uh, do stuff for the kids uh, for during the week and uh, we were doing a lot of praying as we grew up okay. uh, as a kid. You did? Oh, yeah. No kidding, eh? Yeah, Wednesday nights, uh, I'd go to catechism. My mother would go to fish fries and stuff and meet with women and get together and talk about things, but she was also in the altar guild, and my dad was an usher and, and okay. things of that nature. Okay. No kidding. And, 
actually didn't catch all of that originally when we had talked yeah. about this, so that's interesting. Um, when you think about the story that we're wanting to share today specifically, Joe, and we think about the addictions, for you, the addiction that you've struggled with um, is alcoholism, right? Right. And so when I think about alcoholism, one of the things I, I think about is that there's probably people out there listening or watching that maybe that's not their their issue, right? Like alcoholism isn't their issue or their addiction, right? But if people that are listening or watching are at all like me, we all have our own addictions, you know? And I don't think some of them get, uh, I don't know a way to say this, uh, lack of a better word, but they don't get the attention that alcoholism might get. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that are out there. I know that um, my grandfather used to tell me that when he was younger, um, if you were an alcoholic, like you didn't, nobody knew that. Like you had to be in the closet. Like that was an issue that was not acceptable (laughs) to be. You were not like, it was not okay to be an alcoholic. And it's not that I think anyone's going out there going, "Eh, everybody should be an alcoholic. You know, I don't think that, but at the same time, it's more, it's more out in the open to be dealt with. Right. And right. so, and, and I think, and we'll get into this later, how you're actually a part of helping with that. But when you think about alcoholism in your life and the fact that you allowed Jesus to kind of intersect with that, because I feel like there was, from listening to you before, it was kind of like Jesus is here, alcoholism's here, and they're kind of just passing each other. You didn't let them connect mm-hmm. to allow that to affect you. And so when this is happening and alcoholism is really running rampant in your life like can you tell us a little bit about like what that was like when it was at its worst for you do you mind sharing some of that alcohol was predominantly in our family you know and uh good czechoslovakian family Uh, i'd watch my dad go over to my grandfather's house and everyone that walked through the door got a shot you know hey come on let's go have a shot and they had a shot and so whoever got there first got the most shots so um, would I say it was silent in our family? No, we uh, were a good beer-drinking uh, Catholic bunch of group, you know. And um, I would say at a very young age, uh, remembering, I, w- I was 11 years old at a wedding and, and uh, got drunk for my first time. You were, at a, you were 11. 11 years old, yeah. Oh, and wow. um, so we, we got home and I tripped across the couch and they laughed, you know. So it was... Uh, Kind of like, wow, this is uh, serious stuff. So then as it went on, I, I uh, pretty much was saying that alcohol is poison to your life and everything. And uh, high school did some experimentation and pretty much knew it was still poison. You know, I still wanted to have this healthy body. And um, then it kind of it took a turn because um, in my 20s and stuff, I remember joining a golf league and my dad said, you're going to start drinking. I know these people that go out and they drink, you know, just be careful with it. Well, there's a a guy that I hang with now. He goes, there's a sweet spot. And if you can stay within the sweet spot, you know, everything is all right. Past the sweet spot and all bets are off. So in regards to drinking specifically, in regards to anything in life, I would consider uh, any addiction, you get a sweet spot. And then all of a sudden, you pass the line. Um, I had passed the line several times, but I was able to compose myself and not focus on going any deeper into it. 
Now, one of the things that I've heard you say the way you've said it is, and I think this is kind of what you were just explaining, is at some point uh, when you cross that line, the, I don't know, would you call alcoholism a disease? Is that is that the way it's referred to as before I ask? Yes. Okay. The, so when you, you would talk about alcoholism kind of getting the better of you. Yes. So drinking would get the better of you. Yes. Is that the... Same thing as, as talking about when you when you cross that line. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that was something that you identified at some point that this is getting the better of me. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And I want to back up a little bit because there was something you was... said earlier. Actually, you said you were 11 years old, and you walked in the house. You were drunk from a wedding, and you tripped over something, and they laughed. That kind of speaks to the fact that it was almost like okay in your house. Like, did anyone push back on you? It sounds like you. So your dad said, you know, be careful, just watch it. I know these guys or whatever. But was there ever any solid pushback that said, Joe, I'm not really liking the way you're going? Did you get any of that? Uh, From not, within the house, I mean. Not you know? really, because we were. I hadn't really. It wasn't a daily function or anything. Um, it was an occasional, you know, even in high school, it was an occasional weekend party okay. of too much. But, you, you know, everyone um, in my in my age before I got really uh, to the point where you'd get pulled over, thrown in jail, and parents would get thrown in jail, a lot of people were doing it, you know, back okay. in the 70s and early 80s. And then it became a whole issue of... Uh, um, not politically correct and not lawfully correct and things were getting cracked down on because but, i've heard in the 70s and i was i was born in the 70s <laughs> uh, 76 but um i've heard that back in that time like it was somewhat normal i don't know about normal meaning the majority so that's not what i'm suggesting but it was somewhat acceptable that you would have a roadie that you would have a beer in your in your lap or in your cup holder while you're driving. Mm. Not you specifically, I'm not saying, Joe, oh, but can. I'm saying, right, what's that? We'll get to that part of the okay. story. Okay, okay, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But I, I seem to recall, and I know, actually, that there's been people that have mentioned to me that that was more of an acceptable thing. And, of course, that is not mm. now. You know, at least in advertising and, and all of that, it's cracking down. And you, you right. kind of said they put the clamps on that legally. Years ago, they used to drive you home or made sure you weren't hurting anybody and got you home unless you really couldn't uh, function. And uh, hmm. I think a lot of people escaped uh, helping themselves by not having it enforced better. And I uh, have never been incarcerated, never been pulled over under the influence. Oh, really? But uh, one night I did almost probably what I had a big Suburban, 5,000 pounds of metal. And I don't know how I stepped on the brakes to keep from killing the people in front of me, but um, not only did it wake them up, but uh, and probably scared them to death. Uh, I said, "This is it. I can't drive and drink and drive anymore. This is uh, a danger to society." Good and choice. I knew all this. I, I, I wasn't a dumb person that okay. went out and did uh, things without knowing the consequences, but I was ignoring them a lot of times. Very interesting. And that's, it's one thing to be able to claim ignorance, you know, to be right. able to say, well, I don't, I don't know any better. You know, it's kind of like you can write it off a little bit as if, uh, well, it's not really my fault. You can reason it out. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and you're sitting here saying, 
Well, I, I actually knew better and I yeah. actively chose <laughs> to do things differently. When you talked about um, not or, or that alcoholism, that drinking was getting the better of you, on the other side of that, you would say today that drinking does not get the better of you. Was that safe to say it that way? I would say I cautiously attempt never to take another drink in my whole life. Um, and I understand the consequences. So getting the better of me, oh yeah, it took me down. And um, upset some people in the family, and that's another thing that we'll probably talk about. Um, but now in my lifestyle today, even going into Kroger, you, you look down the aisle with uh, the bright shiny lights, and there it is, the beer, the booze, the wine, and it's all uh, center front. So, do, you, do you avoid those parts of the store? Oh, I don't go down those aisles. Intentionally? You know, intentionally, no. I don't okay. go down the aisles. I always say stay away from wet, wet faces and wet places because it only takes one. It only takes one drink to go back. Okay. And uh, I've known several people in life, uh, whether it be drugs or alcohol, um, something happens and they pick up and then they come back humbly. And sometimes they don't. There's a, a time in your life that you've told me about where you were at the kitchen sink and you made a big promise to God. And you had quit. You had said to yourself, to God, I don't know, I'd like to give you a chance to expand upon it, that you're going to be done. Mm -hmm. And this this is it. Um can you tell us about that? Would you mind telling us about that moment? I, w I would have to fill in some of the and that's okay. stories of, of where I was. <clears throat> I had uh, graduated high school, had started college, had uh, uh, had a, a what I thought was a really good relationship going. And um, the girl that I was in the relationship with, everyone loved her and stuff like that, but then uh, she had got sidetracked in life and ended up into drugs and other things. And, and um, I had gone for several years, probably till from 22 to uh, 29, uh, not really dating serious or wanting to have a real serious relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, in that time, I started a job, um, was golfing and bowling and hunting and fishing and everything a man would love to do the rest of their life. Um, and also the drinking was involved in all of those activities, you know. Okay. And uh, so I, I got to the point in my life where I said, I got to get married at 30. Who, who, and I'm sorry for any of my cousins or this, or family members or men or women. Uh, That's pretty much I, everybody. I does. just wanted to be married when I was 30. And my brother-in-law goes, hey, did you check out the gal at... Uh, uh, the doctor's office and I said okay that's my I, I, I'm a very um, planned goal-oriented person I want to do this I want to run so many miles I want to ride so many miles I want to be at this place at this time in my life so I said okay well let's check her out so I checked her out and I said okay I could marry her you know so I now, ended hang, up pursuing hang on, hang on. so did you write her name down you're, you're doing this. So was she on a list at some point? Oh, she was, like, I got to make sure to, she was to visit the, this person. She's on, she's on the hit list, right? Oh, the hit list. Yeah, she, she made it from just the casual. So I, I pursued going out with this woman. And within a, less than a year, I was married. 
So I made made it before I was 30, you know. So the goal was complete, check mark. And um, so we started, um, a lot of people said, are you nuts? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> so we had uh, a honeymoon. We had the marriage. We had the honeymoon. We had the, the niceness. We were participating in church. I was a Eucharistic minister, and, and uh, she did some singing in Eucharistic ministry. And uh, then she... Um, said, I want to go back to my bartending and this and that. And I didn't know of all her friends that she had accumulated in previous lives, but I thought she was done with that. And that's where some of the drinking started getting heavier. While she um, was working at a bar. Yeah, she was a bartender. So what do you do when you go to a bar? You start sitting there and I was like, Norm, at the end of the bar, you know, give me a beer, give me another beer, right. you know. That's a and, Cheers reference for you young yeah, guys. You got to take a look at that yeah. show. And uh, I look like Norm sometimes. Hey, there but. we go. <laughs> <laughs> so it lasted a year. Okay. And then I, we, I decided things weren't going right and some things happened in the marriage. And I do know a lot of people that I've been with that have had divorces. That It is such a, a messy situation in a lot of people's lives. And I have a lot of compassion for people going through divorces and family problems and stuff like that. It's not like mine would trump theirs or be any better or worse than theirs, but I did go through it. Um, so the thing is, is what I did was I drowned myself starting in alcohol. So the bowling, the parties at other people's houses uh, just escalated. I had to have a couple uh, relationships, you know, to see if I was normal. And wouldn't you know it, I picked people that could out drink me almost, you know. Oh, and wow. um, so they always say you go back to what you're nor normal with. So things got really bad. I was still holding a job. I was still going to church. Uh, I had seen a counselor with my ex-wife. And uh, when we finally separated before the divorce was through, she said, hey, uh, can you... I don't think the whole problem is you. you. You know, I've met both of you. You're a pretty decent guy. Can you stop? And I told her how my drinking had escalated. She goes, can you stop drinking for three days? And that's one of the questions um, I wasn't prepared to answer because I had crossed that sweet spot, you know. It oh. had become a daily uh, addiction. I didn't drink before 5 o'clock at night, but man, when that bell rang, I was like a greyhound out of the box racing after that rabbit. And um, I had to make sure I was halfway sober to get to work in the morning. So I always made sure I went to bed by 1 o'clock or something, totally snack or drunk. Um, so I tried one day. I said, okay, tonight I'm to not quit buying anything. And another thing with alcoholics, we, you know, there's uh, alcoholics and there's alcoholics. Uh, I could have 24 in the house and a fifth and it just won't be there when I'm done. <laughs> you know, I could have three in the house and I'll have to go get more. You know, okay. there's just a compulsiveness of the disease. Um, and it's not that I didn't want to share it with anybody. It's just that I know that, oh man, if I can get this all before one o'clock or something, I can function at 5.30 in the morning, you know. Uh, the cheating and lying I was doing to myself. So after that, the first day I, I left work and I usually stopped at one of three party stores because the first party store 
uh, Fred's or something, he knew I was going to get a, a pint and a 12-pack. And, a, a and then the second party store would be for Tuesday and I would get a, a, a case and a, and, a, and a pint or something or maybe a fifth. And then on Wednesday, I'd stop at another party store and I'd, I'd do the same thing because I didn't want anyone knowing. I didn't want these guys that were, I was willing to give my $20 to a day knowing that I was a drunk because, you know, I had them fooled. All they wanted was my money. And then uh, what happened after that was I, I stopped. So I went from 5 o'clock to about 7 o'clock and I couldn't stand it. So I ran up to the store and I got some Beer. This is part of this them. is day one. This is of part the of the can you do three yeah. days without? So three day challenge, I it blew two it and the half, first three day. hours. Okay. So I said, okay, I'll try it again a couple days later, and I did again. And I just couldn't make it past the first day. I couldn't even make it past the first three hours. Um, so what I did was uh, the wonders of it is is there's another person that was uh, drinking and driving after a Christmas party at my old work and he got nailed and they weren't lenient. They threw him in jail for three days or a week or something and he had to start going to AA meetings. So, you know, the talk around the shop with the rest of us drinkers were, well, I'm sorry you got caught, you know, hey, let's go out and have another beer. So he stayed to himself and he had some wisdom of what happens if you do get caught. So I went back there and I talked to him and I said, well, how, did, how do you stop, man? And he goes, well, you either get caught or you start and then go to meetings or you go to a meeting and don't get caught because it'll change your life. If you're ready to change your life, let me know. So I go and try the three-day challenge another time and it didn't work. So I went back there and I said, man, what do I got to do? And he goes, well, you got to go to AA or something. So... There was one right at the church that I was serving at on Friday nights. So I pop in there, and this is kind of funny. I'll tell you the first story. I show up kind of nervous, you know, kind of standing around. Everyone's standing out there smoking and putting it in this uh, old-fashioned steel coffee can. And um, I go, is this the AA meeting? Yeah, it's downstairs. So I walk downstairs. I smell like smoke now. I never smoked, uh, by the way. So I get this uh, feeling that these, they had two or three tables down there. And so I said, this is the first time here, what do I do? And the guy goes, well, you'll be sitting at this first step table. And I said, okay, good place for me to start. So everyone goes around the table and they go, hi, my name's Bill. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm George. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, so there, it really hey I'm does Larry. Like I'm that. an alcoholic. You know, and it's just like <clears> what you see on TV. And it gets to my turn and I go, I'm Joe. I'm just here gathering information. Yeah, for a friend. <laughs> so, oh my. Uh, you know, not the friend, it was for me. Um, so I sat and I got experience with that. So then the next week I go back and I knew I was a drunk. I knew I was an alcoholic, but I hadn't admitted it yet. So I get to this next table and I go, I'm, I'm just here checking it out. And then the third week I got there and I go, uh, you know, my name's Joe, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, life changed there because I had to admit it. And so I took the three-day challenge again. But when I did it, it, it kind of 
felt really guiltier because most of the guys that I was talking to at work, they go, yeah, if you stop drinking, life will be different. Your friends will be different. Everything will be different. And, um, and then one guy goes, yeah, you'll probably be one of those Jesus followers. You know, oh, once they find through, Jesus, you know, you're, even you're, 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 you're going to be off chasing Jesus, you know, and we'll see you later. So I get to the Sunday that you're referring to. That's the moment when you made a promise yeah. to God. We're back to that. Yeah. And did you ever know that I could talk? Yeah. So I think, I think what we I did, think we're past we kind of went around and now we're back. So, hey, we yeah. made it. So okay. Let's go. So the story goes that weekend, uh, February 20th. Of 1994 I had decided that in my notebook that this is the date I'm gonna pick the date you know it's that's the date I'm gonna take my last drink hmm. so Saturday I got snockered you know I knew the because day before the day before I knew I had to do something so like a last hurrah the last hurrah was on Saturday I woke up Sunday I went to church um, and Sunday was different, you know, it was a different morning. However, I hadn't given up drinking yet. It was a Sunday night. Uh, but let me tell you one more thing about AA. I was coming out of the church parking lots the first couple weeks that I was discovering, uh, am I friend. an alcoholic or am I checking this out for a friend? Mm -hmm. There I'm coming out of the parking lot in this big suburban and um, Cunning, baffling, and, and gets a grip on your life. I reach under the seat before I had even passed the parking lot, and I'm chugging on a pint <laughs> really? to get home, you know, because I had been to a meeting. I didn't smell at the meeting, but it didn't mean by the time I was driving down the road I wasn't going to have a little buzz going on. So I'll go back to Sunday. I'm going to, this is my date. It's you know, February 20th, this is, this is what God wants me to do. I'm, I've, I've cried out to him. I said, I need help. And I got some AA under my belt. And I get to that day where I drank only two beers, which was really weird. And, and I didn't buy any. And I had maybe four beers left and a little bit of a pint left, you know, just for safeguard. And I, I got to that night, and it was about 10 o'clock. And I said, Lord, I'm standing at this corner sink. Oak Park 900 square foot house that I was raised in that I bought from my parents and I'm standing there at the sink and I said Lord whatever you want to do with me I'm all yours and I dumped the booze down it's a big moment even still today thinking back on it Joe it's all right And I said, my agenda is going to be for you. And I kept my promise. And the next day I woke up. And they talk about people being, uh, don't quit cold turkey if you're drinking as much as me. Because yeah. your heart can fail and things can get messed up. I got to work. And I heard people at work too with my drinking. I get to work. I didn't have the shakes. I didn't have the craving. And um, my life had changed. And I made it through that day and the next day and the next day. 
And uh, you don't want to do that without supervision. <laughs> I've heard of other people dying from it. You know, if you need a treatment center, go to a treatment center. Uh, they'll wean you off of it. But it worked for me, and um, it's only by God's grace that that could happen. So, uh, anyway, sorry, teared up. I didn't know no, I would. It's okay, Joe. I didn't know I would. But Can I? I get there and I go okay. to my next meeting. I go, I'm grateful. Everyone's so grateful around AA. They may not know what it means to them, but they're grateful. So, I became one of those guys that got in, I'd say, hey, I'm joining, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not checking it out for a friend, I know what I am. So I finally figured out what I was. Wow. But I made that commitment to God after knowing him my whole life. Wow. Um, I'm still taking that all in myself, to be honest, uh, Joe, that I didn't realize the the weight of that moment being as heavy as it was for you. Um, a couple of things were running through my mind listening to all of that, and, and don't shortchange yourself. That was all worth the whole going around and getting back to that moment that I asked you about. Um, context is everything, and understanding that the, the different ways that you got to that, the different things that influenced you to get to that point, being at the the sink and making that promise to God, um, I think that ignoring those details would be a mistake. So thank you mm -hmm. for filling us in on that. Um, but one of the things that crossed my mind when I was listening to that just now is the fact that when we as men, and we talk about this in the men's ministry in a variety of different ways. At base camp, it comes up um, in small groups, Bible studies, different meetups that we have. But when we as men do life in isolation, that's when Satan can have his field day, I would say, with us. Mm -hmm. And as I listen to you talk about some of the aware or unaware like shame and embarrassment that you were experiencing, you picked three different party stores so they wouldn't be on to you. Right, at right. least that they wouldn't be on to your rhythm of multiple days a week. They'd be on to a weekly rhythm, maybe. But you went to this one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? And so you you divided it up that way. Um, you would be drinking at home, is what it sounded like a lot mm -hmm. of the times. And the girl you were dating, um, you know, was bartender, so that was kind of out there a little bit more. But when you went to a public place where you had the opportunity to say, "This is what I'm struggling with," and this is why I need help. It took weeks for you to get to that conclusion. And so when I think about you walking into that meeting, it's kind of walking into your own little stadium and saying, this is what I've been doing. And so everybody's looking at you. And the interesting thing about that audience at AA is they're in the same boat. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like, you know, walking into a room of of people that don't drink or never struggled with drinking and saying, I got to let you guys know, you know, <laughs> this is where I'm at. Um, you're actually in a room with, with, with people that share that same issue. And that was still hard for you. So I feel like the isolation and the doing it on your own and being embarrassed by it, um, it didn't stop you for the longest time, but it is, it is what, um, it is what, what, proliferated itself, I'll say. That's a big word. I don't use mm -hmm. that a lot. You know, I'm not even sure what it means. <laughs> uh, but I will say, it seems to me like, 
if had you brought people in earlier that you would have maybe allowed to challenge you a little bit more um, instead of the people at work that would give you the advice that kept you going down the path, right? Or the people at the bar that you're sitting next to while your mm -hmm. girlfriend's across the bar. Um, these people aren't speaking life into this situation, <clears throat> am I right? They're not bringing right. light to darkness. They, they, they don't want you to uh, experience what it's like on the other side because you're one of them and as long as your money's there, they're going to use you yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. So a big um, part of the, the change that I'm hearing that I'm hearing about is making a commitment to God and putting yourself around other people. Right. That may not share an AA. They're not sharing the commitment to the same God as you. They're, they're, it's a higher power. Is that right? right. That's it's the way a I higher understand power. it. Yeah. I've been to a meeting. Um, for I'm not going to say for, no. <laughs> those kind. Of, but when I was in my uh, it was when I was in my graduate degree, I had to yeah. I had to go as uh, um, it, to write a paper. I'm right. not I'm not I making that up, everybody. Yeah. This is actually how it was. And so there was thankfully somebody, and he knows who he is if he's listening. Uh, he took me with him because he goes mm -hmm. every week still to this day. And um, I found it very interesting. It was not as weird as I thought it would have been. Um, it was very supportive, at least the group he was with. Um, and it was a helpful thing. And I think, however, those organized ways, and we'll get to what you do with that later as well in a little bit here, but those organized groups that, that do that stuff, they exist and succeed for a reason because they're helping people out they're helping people make different choices and so that just sounds like it was a big part for you um, when I was listening also the other thing that popped into my mind is I know for Joe I know that starting to read the Word of God and this you maybe you're gonna expect this coming out of a, a minister but reading the Word of God and having a relationship with Jesus made all the difference in the world for you. You started to dive into that more. Um, you started to want to own it a little bit more. Um, and you said that with the help of God, okay, he told me with the help of God that you were able to change. And when I, and, you, and you're not done changing, by the way, I know no. you. Like you're, you're not like, well, I'm, I've arrived. You know, <laughs> I don't think that happens on this side of eternity. But when I, when I think about God influencing you and changing you i do want to ask you for everybody to hear what is jesus helping joe manage this to this day right what does that look like well there's no graduation party uh people have heard of aa and ac as as a 12-step program you start with one and you work through 12 and you don't graduate. You just got to keep coming back. You just keep doing the steps. You keep doing the steps. They're all there for guidance for you. Uh, the Jesus moment happened to me. Um, my, my prayer life changed uh, at that sink. Uh, my prayer life weeks before was crying out to God, tell me, show me a sign give me some uh, audible words, and they weren't there. Uh, but they were through other people. Um, so to get sober, I started drinking Pepsi. Boy, it was terrible. I would have uh, picked Coke. Yeah, and I would have picked Coke too because yeah. I'm more of a Coke drinker. But I drank a lot of Pepsi. I worked around the yard. I got home. I worked out. I rode my bike. I did a lot of stuff. But what I did was my great-grandfather, Stacco, uh, 
my dad's um, mother's father had a claim that he read the Bible through from start to finish. Now, it was probably in Czech at that time. Uh, I don't think he spoke English, but he was a big man, big hands. And I look, and he lived upstairs at their house in Detroit, and uh, he had this Bible, and he read it through, you know, the claim to fame. Well, in my religious experience, no one carried a Bible. We carried our missalettes, and we, we went to church, and we oh, heard, Joe, heard. I don't know what a missalette is. It's in the, so anyway, uh, in the Latin uh, mass, you had a missalette that you owned and you could bring to church and you could follow the priest and stuff. So it had epistles and gospels in it, but no one really carried their Bible like a Baptist would or a So Lutheran it was an epistolette, what, what'd you call it? It's called a missalette. A missalette, a missalette. Right, it a missalette. Was it like an order of service? Yeah, it was an order thing? of service and it had all the readings for three years of the, the, the calendar uh, church <laughs> years. And you could be involved in it by reading it in English and... Uh, so anyway, uh, my great-grandfather Stockel read the Bible through from start to finish. So in AA, I got my first AA big blue book, and I read that from front to cover, front to cover. And so I was, uh, I was a reader as a kid, you know, and people, when I didn't have anything to do, I read. I like to read. So I get this big book. I read it through several times. Stories are good. And then I thought, I'm going to read the Bible, see what that says. Maybe I can disprove that I don't have religion, you know, that maybe all these religions really don't need to exist. I'll read the Bible and find out where God is. And so I started reading in Genesis, and I ended up in Revelation. And I put the date and the check mark in the Bible. And then I said, I get nothing, you know. I, I made it through Leviticus, which was surprising compared to most people. And then I started over, and I read it again. So hold on. The first time you read through it, you would you would say, looking back on it, you read it, and you, nothing really impacted you. I remember a lot of the stories. I remember a lot of the verses. I And then I started seeing how the liturgy was put together with epistles and gospels and in the ascents of the altar and all this stuff that I was... As an altar boy in Latin, I learned all my Latin, but I didn't know I was reciting psalms and stuff oh. in other parts of the religious duties, right? So I read it through a second time, and I tried to take a little more interest in it. And uh, I don't memorize. I absorb things the way I absorb things. And then I said, after I got through it the second time, I said, Okay, well, I got the prize for when, doing it the first time, and I let my parents know that I did it. Then the second time I read it through was to just keep from be, picking up a drink. You know, what do I do at night? Well, I drank at night, so now I'm reading the Bible at night. I'm doing projects and stuff. And then the third time through, I just kept reading it through, and I kept reading it through, and I'm a monotonous factory worker doing uh, assembly work of assembling this Bible into my soul here, right? Mm -hmm. So I read it through again, and I put the date down, and I just kept reading it and reading it. Even when I was married with Karen, that's when it all kind of started, uh, just reading it literally. Okay. And so Jesus was, 
had the grips on me at that time because then I started seeing that I wasn't without anything that I could do. You know, I read the key verses. I started looking more at uh, being saved and reborn and questions that had happened, um, um, trying to ask people what it meant to them, and a lot of people didn't know. So I was okay. on the search for Christ now, in a deeper meaning. In the reading of, of going through, you said you, you referenced going through three different times. About 11. Well, at the, right, okay. Yeah, okay, now I get you. But back then, right, it's like three different times and is what you had mentioned. And one of the things that I know God desires us to experience, okay, from reading reading his word is it is truly a love letter for us, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's all about Jesus from the start to the finish. Um, in all the details and in, in the stories, uh, it is about redeeming us, you know, through the blood of Christ, right? And the Bible talks about as us being children of God, right? right. So we're talked about in light of being children of God. And it, it, it talks about that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of times in the Old Testament, we hear about children of being of Abraham, right? You know, mm-hmm. you kind of referenced a little bit more that way. Um, but when we, when we look at Scripture, one of the things that would be, I don't know, that God has a, a priority list of, of what he hopes for us, so to speak, but that's how I think, so I'm going to kind of impose that on him a little bit here, <laughs> is I would think that his number one priority of us reading through the text is to be able to identify us as his children, to be able to look in the mirror in the morning and realize that, that you and I, when we look in that mirror, are looking at a child of God. Right. And we're not a child of God separate of our addictions. We're not a child of God separate of our story. We're a child of God because he created us and he loved us enough to send his son to die for us, right? Right. I know that there was a moment where you kind of came to that conclusion that you were that you realized and, and kind of just, I'm a child of God, and, and a heroin addict was involved in that, if yeah. I remember correctly. Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? So um, to set the stage, uh, after I got sober, uh, I didn't, and we can talk about the marriage thing later. I had Karen in my life fairly We're going to get to Karen. Fairly we don't keep fast, her off. She's pretty amazing. But I will tell you, uh, this goes a couple years down the road after reading the Word and uh, trying to absorb as much and still attending church every week. Um, but I wasn't drunk attending church, you know. Uh, one of the best parts about uh, going to 11 o'clock services, 12 o'clock, if you remember a few years ago, you couldn't buy booze yep, or alcohol right. until 12 o'clock. So I could, I, I could get filthier drunk on Saturday, go to 11 o'clock mass, and then after that, I could go right to the party store and start it all over again. But going back to your question, I, I went to uh, several meetings and several agendas. And this happened a little bit later on, probably six or eight years into my sobriety. And um, it happened after I was even here at Faith. And uh, I was at another church and they brought in some people from another recovery uh, rehab center uh, that focused on helping people when they got out of jail 
survive, get them back into the, uh, into the public. And I'm sitting at a first step table. A lot of times I would go back to the first step and uh, try to help uh, there or guide visitors, new people. visitors and stuff to okay. hear the stories. You know, you never not, you never not want, you never don't ever want to remember that there's some guy sitting there collecting information for his friend. So I show up and uh, I go up there and there's a guy that's completely tattooed and tear tattoos and stamps on his everywhere I could tell and on his knuckles and stuff. And, you know, up until now, I had uh, realized that God had created us all in his image and, his, and that every person has a story. And uh, I'm sitting next to this guy and he goes, man, and it comes around, you know, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, you know, grateful, I'm grateful. And here's this guy that's out of prison. He goes, I am a child of God, a great recovering addict. I, I was a heroin addict, but I'm a child of God. And I go, wow, what is this guy? Hmm. You know, I, you can't rank it on any level. Like, was Joe a number one alcoholic <clears throat> or number eight or number 10? Or is he into heroin or into speed or is he into porn or is he into, I'm an addict, you know, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I got an issue, mm-hmm. right? This guy's issue was he didn't want to live a lot of times. He got into the euphoria of heroin and he, was, he had come out of it. And it got him into a lot of other trouble. But he goes, I'm a child of God. And um, one other time that that hit me where you know, reading through the Bible to see if there's a God. Scott, my oldest son, was at preschool here at Faith. We didn't know where to send him, but he was very smart. So we needed to send him to preschool and then another preschool. So we chose Faith here. And Mrs. L, if you're listening to this, she came up. To, I, I, it was, I think I got off work early and I come up here to pick up Scott. And she goes and touches him, and she goes, Jesus loves you. And to go, Scott, your to son. To Scott. And I'm going, whoa, what's this all mean, you know? In all my years of practicing religion, I knew that God loved me. I know Jesus died for me. I know there was a death, burial, resurrection. I know there was many things to pray about, but I didn't realize how deep being a child of God was or to be in love by Jesus himself, you know. I knew it was there, but never impacted. Wow. So and the, I get excited about that. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you it's do. Just now, like, this is the this Joe is that like, we know today uh, because he does get excited about that. He keeps Bibles in his trunk in case he meets anybody <laughs> yeah. he needs to give one to, right? Yeah. But the two things that I heard you say, Joe, is, you know, the, the, the gentleman's you know, says, I'm a child of God, and then you hear that Jesus loves you. Those things are, they obviously are connected. Um, but talk about two really simple statements yeah. that are true. And yeah. and and I, I read the Bible. Um, I've never took a start-to-finish approach. I'm, I'm currently um, doing a bit of that with some, with some buddies, but um, going to kind of start to, to finish and I'm, and I'm seeing a value in that as far as consistency and storyline goes. But even I get caught up in the details and miss the simple things. 
And the details, when I say get caught up in them, by the way, it's not an issue of the details don't matter. They're in mm -hmm. there for a reason. They are mm -hmm. definitely in there for a reason, and we are to get something from them. But to miss the fact that you're loved by Jesus mm -hmm. as an alcoholic, as a whatever, fill in the blank for each yeah. and every one of us, right? And that um, that Jesus loves you and you're a child of God, that's, yeah. that's pretty impactful. If I could, I would like, uh, you've referenced this Karen person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you've referenced her. I know her. Um, I look up to her, literally. Yeah. Um, she uh, works here in the uh, children's ministry in the nursery. So she's that face that often calms parents when they're dropping off their kids for the first time. Uh, those of you moms out there that actually you wouldn't be listening to this. But anyways, <laughs> you husbands uh, that... You never know. Yeah, you never this know. This will Husbands, you know, your wife says one of the hardest things to do is taking your at least your first child and handing it to somebody, them, not it, to somebody else, right? And Karen, Karen's on the front line of that. Um, talk to us about when you guys met, and uh, and 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 I actually want to know like how you ended up at Faith. These are my two questions about you and Karen. Okay. How did you end up at Faith, and why have you stayed? Why have you stayed here? Because you made some choices prior to meeting her. You 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 were sober. And within a year, okay, so this is what Joe does. So within a year of being so, I know I'm telling your story, but within a year, you got sober, you met Karen, got engaged, got married. You just you just went all in, and that strikes me as kind of how you do things. And, yeah. and by the way, you would not recommend this as well. I, I am I'm totally <laughs> I'm to, I'm totally guilty. You know, uh, I like to read things. I like to have a plan. I like to have things in order. Uh, you, you know, the shoes at the door uh, upset me still, but I like them in pairs and in order from left to right. Oh, I'm not the only one. And, nice. um, and, and I'm grateful to have a house that's messy because I know everyone's living in it. So, not that, I guess I could probably have that edited out of here, just in case Karen watches this. But, um, Karen came into my, so I got sober in February, and in June I made a call to get, I, I do estimating and, and sales work and all kinds of different hat wearing at a, a machine tool industry type business, selling fixtures and tools and stuff, and now I'm still in it at a different place. But I called and I was get, trying to get a price on some steel, and Karen answered the phone, and she goes, keep me on the phone for another 10 minutes. I don't want to take another sales call. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. And she goes, well, I got to go see my grandmother. She's in a, in a hospital. She just had her leg amputated and I, I need to go see her. And I felt that her compassionate story was something that hit me like, here's a good girl, um, concerned about her grandmother. She probably has a pretty good family. And so I said, okay, I'll keep you on the phone till five. So we ended that conversation. And then the next night I called back with a fake quote because I knew what a prices of steel were. I just wanted to talk to her. So I asked for her specifically nice to be my move. sales salesperson of choice, you know. And so we talked and then I said, well, I got to go. How about giving me your home phone number and we can continue this conversation? And she did. <laughs> So we developed going to the next level of 
finally going out on a date in February and she uh, had no intentions of it. Uh, she called it a meeting, not a date. And she was just looking for food because she was single and I could pay for it. So <laughs> we, we went out to uh, our first dinner. You know, this is how you work it to a rib place, Mitchell's Rib Place on 14 Mile and Cross. And neither of us ordered ribs because we didn't want to pick them up with our hands and get all slobbery in front of each other. So we both had meals that we didn't like. And then we got back to her place and the meeting was over for her. And she pretty much shut the door on me as I tried to give her a kiss on the cheek or something for okay, really? favor of pain. So anyway, the door slams. Joe's in the hallway going, man, I, I really like this girl. So I call her up and we ask her out for another date, you know. And uh, it took after that. But the, the thing of me making these plans and having these agendas and stuff, um, if you get sober or if you have a life-changing divorce, two things, yeah, two things, divorce, sobriety, uh, what other things did I have going on? I had all that other stuff going on. Don't make a life-changing decision for about a year. You mean like I, getting married? Like getting married or, you know, <laughs> sober, buying a house, cars, everything. Don't relocate. Don't, uh, don't, don't try to solve the situation by jumping into the frying pan with something else, you know. Don't take up a, a skydiving, you know, or something like that. Just mm -hmm. kind of go with the flow. Go to a lot of meetings and, and get your life in order. Simmer down, basically. So Karen and I got married in November. So February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. Nine mm -hmm. months later, and uh, I said we were a little older. So after that, uh, we started trying to have kids, and we couldn't for a couple years. But then all of a sudden, we got two boys. Like, wow, here we go. We're... The first one came and I thought, boy, this was great. Scott was born. And then, uh, you know how they always say you're supposed to wait and then try again? Well, I was hoping there would be a lot more trying, you know, but there wasn't a lot Naturally. more trying. Matthew right. came like immediately. So awesome. we had two boys pretty close to each other, 19 months apart. And they've just been a blessing to us. You know, so my life started off in 94. It changed drastically. I made amends with all my family members that I really hurt during my drinking. Mm -hmm. I started a family. Uh, they looked at Karen and said, oh my God, what is Joe doing? Is he nuts for doing this within one year? And they probably didn't put a lot of faith in that what was gonna happen because it was like, what is he doing now? And then things got to be ritualistic. You know, Scott going to preschool here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't come to church here at that time. You know, how did we get to faith? We were at our own church, mm -hmm. and Scott was old enough to go into choir, and so it was going to be a, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Saturday, and then a Sunday commitment driving 14 miles back and forth to what her church was for okay. all those years. And so we started searching for a church, and we ended up here at Faith. Closer. Back in around 2000 and 2001, somewhere's in there. Okay. So it's a beautiful thing. Now, you went from um, attending a church your whole life and going through the motions, right? And, right. Then, you, and then you come here, and you start to um, experience things a little bit differently. You, you, you eventually, however, um, go into wanting to give back 
to this place. Not, not specifically to this place as much, but the people of this place, right? And so I know that there's a, a variety of things that lead up to this point, but I would like you to share the story about, because you currently lead a few things here. Tuesdays is your jam. So Tuesday morning you lead a Bible study at 6.15 in the morning. Okay, while I'm still sleeping. Like the monks get up earlier than yeah. me, but I'm there. Yeah, you're there. And uh, <laughs> uh, and then the other thing you lead is Alcoholics for Christ on Tuesday nights. Right. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not anonymous. Okay, so uh, Alcoholics for Christ on Tuesday nights. Um, I'd like you to, to tell us, um, tell us the story, brief story about how you came to lead that, this go around. Oh this most recent yeah. one that you're doing. I'll tell you one thing about AA and AC that where they differ and AA has a higher power and it's supposed to stay anonymous to any kind of publications or news or events or anything. Alcoholics for Christ was formed many years ago with some men that got permission to use the AA 12 steps and they base it on um, Christian principles with Bible readings for every okay. step. They correlated the steps to it. Um, I was at an AA meeting and I was talking to some guy and I said, you know, it'd be great if we could just say Jesus is my higher power. And he goes, you just need to go and check out an Alcoholics for Christ thing. We don't need to invent it. Oh, okay. uh, so anyway, I said, okay, we'll, we'll meet you there. And should I go off and I'll, I'll tell, I, I forgot the question, but no, no, the I, can entertain, I no, can entertain anything. I'll I, talk about it. I know you AC. can. I know you can. But I, want to, I do want to bring you back to the, the, the moment when you decided to approach yeah, Pastor Joe. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd like okay. to. I was going to tell you about the other part of the story I about know. coming to AA, but AC here. So anyway, um, I, I, go, I, I eliminated going to meetings for some years while the boys were in scouting, band, football, baseball, and every school event. And I ended up being an, uh, a scout master and a cub master and a pit crew and everything running out onto the football fields with the equipment. And uh, my life was pretty much uh, busy, but I had strong fellowship in the church with other men in the reading and stuff like that. And I had eliminated some of the AA, which is very difficult to do for a lot of people, uh, stop going to meetings because they say that's the foundation of where you should be. Um, I had then said, I got to get back. Once the boys got done with their uh, high school stuff, I, I told Karen, I said, I got to go back. I got to find a meeting. And I knew where the meetings were. It was just a matter of going back. Uh, so I started going back and attending Alcoholics for Christ. And there's other programs out there, and I don't diminish their, their goodness or anything, but I love that they use the word. It's like step one, here's your verses. You got 12 verses. We read them, we talk about them, and we have a regular meeting. You would never know it's a different meeting, but we bring up the word. You know, what does this make you feel like? that you're yeah. saved, you know, and, uh, and it walks you through it. So after a couple years of that, I was, uh, we were talking at one of my Friday night meetings as to starting a Tuesday night someplace. And I said, I want to take that on. Don't do anything yet. And so I started praying to God. I said, God, what do you want me to do? You know, this is a commitment. I got to be there every Tuesday. I got to 
you know, uh, I got my family, I got things going on, and I got Karen. You know, what do you want me to do? And I kept praying and praying. And so I said, you know, Karen, I got to start this. Uh, but I'm still not sure. You know, the devil's tugging at you. Now you don't really need to do that. And so what I did was I prayed some more. And then I, uh, Pastor Joe Casiglia had gotten back uh, f from a, a conference and he was there that Sunday, but he hadn't preached, but he was there to say hi to people in the uh, vestibule in the back. And uh, I went up to him and I, I, I whipped out my little Alcoholics for Christ book. And I said, Joe, I'm thinking I would like to start a meeting for substance abuse here, here at our church. What do you think? And I said, and if you're thinking of anything or bringing any other group in, let me tell you about this program. I highly recommend it, and if you don't do it, I don't want any part of it. Actually, I, I kind of, I might, I, I might have said <laughs> pretty, that. Pretty close to that. Because I've been in other programs that I don't value as much. So I, I, I took this and I said, but I'm, don't say anything to anybody. I'm still praying about it. I'm, I don't know if I want to have the burden put on me yet. I said, I'll let you know next week. Think about it. Look it over. And so um, I got a call from Joe the next morning <laughs> or the next afternoon. And um, he goes, Joe, funny thing happened. An old acquaintance came into our church Monday morning. So Sunday at 12 o'clock, I'm talking to Joe saying, I'm not sure. I want an audible from God telling me to go. Mm -hmm. And he goes, there's a guy came, came in, I know him, he needs a program, he's definitely an alcoholic, he wants to know where there's a meeting and other people like him he can get help from. And I go, okay, I guess that's confirmation enough, I will do whatever we have to do to get a meeting started. And he said, I, I, he gave me his blessing, which is uh, paramount in trying to get a group started at church. You know, if you don't have the... Uh, uh, blessing of the staff and the people. Right. It's just so hard to get anything going. So this gentleman ended up Friday night at another meeting that I go to, and I was out of town, you know. Oh, really? And I had something going on. So he showed up, and he was in need. He was, and if he told his story, he was at his last end of his rope. And, um, he showed up at that meeting and we started a Tuesday meeting the following week at Faith Lutheran here uh, for Alcoholics for Christ. I got a bunch of books from the other meeting and we opened our doors and we had people come. And uh, the man lasted a year and he's still lasting. I, I didn't mean to say lasted a year. Sure. But he came, he learned how to stop he found Christ and uh, the rest is history you know oh we goodness. opened up our doors but God told I, I said God tell me when oh you got that answer <laughs> and I got the answer the I would really day. appreciate it if I would get those answers quickly like that there's yeah. a few things I'm waiting on and today's Sunday yeah. so uh, I'm gonna think about them pray about them and then tomorrow afternoon I'm hoping I'll get something yeah. like you did okay <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's how I'd like it to work just, and it just doesn't be, always go that way but you know it's nice when it does Give me the direction. Yeah. That's all I ask. Direct me right. where you want me to go. Right. And I will, I, I, I said, 
I'll follow you. Wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. Yep. Now, so, if, I, if I could, I, I'd, I'd like to kind of close this up with, with three questions. And um, I actually, I, like many of the things we talked about, there's a lot I didn't know um, that you shared today. Um, pretty interesting, wasn't it? Yes, very much so. <laughs> I, mean, very you much know, so. I, uh, I thought you would, uh, I, I gave you the others to set you <laughs> off. Yeah, I, I, set, I, I set them off to the other side so that right. he wouldn't know where I was going. <laughs> And, and I then he that. wouldn't pinpoint what I was really, who I really am. Yeah, that's right. This whole thing was a surprise to me. So, um, but not really. But <laughs> when when uh, when there's three questions, they're they're all the they're all similar, and it's just the end that's different. And I, I have no clue your answers on these at all. We <laughs> I gave them to you uh, about a week ago. Can I say one thing? Of course you can. I don't know what my answers are right now. Okay. Well, here we go. So this is good for everybody. Uh, but when you look at, um, when you think about the fact that there's men listening to this or watching this, depending on whether they're viewing it or, or watching the, or listening to the podcast, um, what is one thing you think all men need to hear? What is one thing you think all men need to hear? And then I have two other variations of that, but let's start with that one thing, like a statement. Yeah. The statement is, I learned it in AA, they had all these slogans and stuff, and it was, keep it simple, stupid. And um, the, the keeping it simple, stupid was, we always try to gather so much stuff that we lose the, the fact of why are we here. And we're here to be used by God to give him the glory. Um, okay. To find out that Jesus loves us enough to have died for us. I mean, there's just no other thing that, to concentrate on. So if I want to get in my pity pot for the day, and I can just remember that Christ went to the cross for me alone okay. or for the whole world. So he doesn't discriminate. Right. He, there's just no discrimination. He right. loved us all. Right, right. That's so refreshing, so, especially nowadays. So on my Tuesday morning um, meeting thing, at the end it says, Jesus loves you. On the bottom of the page, I'll print it every time. I always put, Jesus loves you. If you read on, if you go through the whole Tuesday morning and don't know nothing else, up on the top of the page it says, working on ourselves with the help of Jesus. And at the bottom it says, Jesus loves you. If you can take those two things, okay. that says it in a nutshell. All right, now you took a little liberty there because actually for one thing you gave it to, but I'm not going to hold that against you. Now, no. second thing, second question is what is you th what is it that you think all men need to wrestle with so at, at one I, point in time we've just we all need to be wrestling with this what would that be I, I think the wrestling things that we all wrestle with is who i am who am i what is my purpose who who am i really i mean we can have all these titles of i'm a i'm a janitor i'm a ceo i'm a pastor even saying mm -hmm. a pastor I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a dentist, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a carpenter, I'm a, I, I'm a retired person. But the whole thing of what we need to wrestle us is who, you know, if you do anything today, how are we going to give glory to God in doing the simplest things? Whether it's taking care of a parent and wiping their butt, hmm. or, or taking care of a child wiping and their wiping butt. their butt. Right. Or... Or being kind to somebody that's a coworker. What? We're not wiping their butt, though. No. Okay. Good. No. Good. Just want no. to clarify. We'll that. probably have to cut this part out, but they they might not. 
But the important thing to know about what do we what are we what are we struggle with most? What should we realize the most that we are a child of God? Okay. That we are made in His image. You know, there's there's people of all different colors, shapes, sizes, with arms, without arms, legs, handicaps, everything. We're all made in His image for a purpose, okay. and that's to give Him the glory. Okay. And then lastly. Um, and this is also a, somewhat of a direct thing, is what is it that you think all men need to do? From I mean, we're all about activity. Mm-hmm. We're all about doing things. I love going mm-hmm. out in my garage and doing something. I love going out in my yard and doing something. What is it you think all men need to do? I could isolate fairly well. I could, I could give up everything and isolate fairly well. I stepped into this church on a, on a night where they had a men's dinner and I wanted to be part of a group of men. And um, sometimes you have to fight to become part of the group. You know, the first time it may not feel good. You might be gathering information for a friend, you know. Uh, Hi, I'm Joe, I'm just here to check you guys out. And then you go home. And then the next time you'd come back to a group of men, whether it be at a Bible study or a men's dinner or a meat roast, you know, the, I guess we can't have the great smoke out this year with the, with the lions already being done. But um, <laughs> but we could eat smoked meat another day, right? Right, right? But if you're a man and you're isolating, you need to come out and get with some guys, whether it be on a Monday night or even at church or whatever. Try, okay. try to do something with other men. Okay. Because left to our own demise, <laughs> we'll start doing things that we shouldn't be doing. You know, everyone here, a lot of people have great hobbies here. We have people that fly fish, ski, work on cars, uh, uh, smoke meat, you know, Mm -hmm. love meat, throw axes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that there's a tremendous amount of gifts. And if you keep them to yourself, you're not sharing them with anybody. Fair enough. Absolutely. Okay. So I think give it a try. Don't gather information for a friend. Yeah. Get, get get your feet wet. Get okay. in, get into it. Jump in. Okay. Jump on in. When you think about somebody out there listening to this, and this is my last uh, mm-hmm. question for you. I hope I didn't say that already and then ask more yeah, questions. But nonetheless, um, this is actually my last question for you. When you think about sharing your story, what's uh, one thing that you hope, even if it's just one man out there watching or listening, that they will get out of hearing your story? You know, this is... Uh pretty personal. I don't walk around sharing this with everybody. And I guess now I am. But the thing is, is as men, whether you're 12 years old or 92 years old or 102, uh, I always wish that I had a little bit more transparency from somebody that might have gone before me in some sort of walk that they didn't like that came out of it. pretty much a, uh, a redemption story. I, I consider mine a redemption story. I have absolutely a, a, a great life now. I love Jesus. I, I'm doing things with my time uh, for other men at times, you know, that are very rewarding. And, and I think that to uh, have men in your life that have, and humbly, 
I sit at a group of, uh, with a group of men on Monday and it's like, why would they pick me? I'm sorry if I hit my mic. Why did, why did they pick me? Some of the stories that I've heard of other people, they're more dramatic and, and, and right. worse than mine. <clears throat> but my story is my story, you know? And there are a lot of things that I don't think I would change to how I got here because I wouldn't be as strong as I am. Okay. Um, I have, so if, if a man's listening out there, your story is important. There's some things that happened in your childhood. There's some things that happened in your school life or college life that made you who you are today. And I'm still changing, right. you know, I, you know, asking God, what do you, what do you want me to do today? Where, where do you want me to go? Or somebody pops into my life. I'm still growing. So my story doesn't end today after telling you this because we omitted about 10 pages of the script. But my story will continually go on. And I may repeat some of the key points of my story, but they're only to strengthen other men. You know, reach out, get help, identify yourself. Who are you? Who are you is the biggest question. Right. You know? I'm in Christ now. I now I got it all. Now you said it was okay that I said that uh, Alcoholics for Christ right. meets here on Tuesday night. So I do want to say, can people just show up on Tuesday nights here? Is that allowed? I don't know yeah. how that works. Yeah, tu- Tuesday so night can we you have just al- tell people. Yeah, Alcoholics for Christ meets here on Tuesday night, seven thirty to eight thirty, but we go to nine o'clock, um, and we study the twelve steps, and it's for alcohol or substance abuse. Uh, Okay, uh, and and the, and here is Faith Troy. So we're at just north of Big Beaver on the west side of DeWinder, right. and they can just come in the main lobby, yep. and that that'll get figured yep. out when they walk in. Okay, yep. and it's on our website, and it's also if you go to Alcoholics for Christ website, it's on the Alcoholics for Christ okay. website, great, as well as on ours. Well, Joe, I I, uh, I can't say thank you enough. I mean, personally, I mean, if even if this whole thing didn't record, I appreciated the time <laughs> you and I got to spend together. So. Um, I appreciate you being vulnerable. I appreciate you being real. Um, I appreciate you being willing to share your story with a lot of people. And there's no telling what God's going to do from it, but we do know he's doing something and that we can hang our hat on. And so thank you again for spending this time with me and with us. And for you all that are watching or listening, I really just appreciate the time you've surrendered to uh given given us to be able to share part of your day with you and we encourage you to keep uh keep looking back here at this location because we'll have more glad i heard that stories to come so thank you very much you guys have a great day